Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. This is part two of a conversation with Sean Rohrer of 6131 Records about Siv's debut album, Set Your Goals. So if you missed that, please go back in the feed and check out part one. Or part two probably wouldn't make a lot of sense to you. We're going to get right back into the conversation, but if you want to hear the whole chat in one chunk, then subscribe to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Okay, on to part two. Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. funny we cut at marching goals because that really is like an intermission uh to a degree but uh, i guess i'll say marching goals i guess any thoughts about that i mean my note is palate cleanser you know and i think we talked about earlier it's like an intermission i mean i think it does kind of give that sense of like again at the time i didn't think about this way but like just kind of in hindsight it's like oh it's kind of like the record flip it's kind of like it's forcing you to like get up from what you're doing go over and flip the record over and you know it does that in sort of a kind of a, a figurative way um you know i people people love to shit on this song like people love to kind of shit on this as an example of like how they were a bad band i i mean again i think a thing that didn't necessarily click with me but i think is maybe a little bit intentional is it's kind of a callback to to start today. I was going to ask that. Like, I feel like it is. And it's like, for the people that know, I feel like this is totally a nod uh, to that. Yeah. Like, and I think it just speaks to like, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's a hundred percent that I think it's a hundred percent them being like, Hey, we're, we're doing weird things, you know, and we're, we're not afraid to kind of step beyond the boundaries of, I mean, that's all this record, but like, you know, that's one of the things that Walter specifically says about Start Today is it's a record that he wasn't afraid to have a harmonica solo. He wasn't afraid to have, you know, all these things, all these weird parts that are the whistling, you know, like these things that just were never kind of like the um, kind of canon of what you could do with an hardcore song. Like they were kind of like, we're, we don't care. Like, you know, the funny thing about that horn thing is it's just a sample. It's like not even a, a actual recording. So I think it is a little bit of a nod to that. And I think it kind of has serves these, all these purposes. And I, and again, I want to give him credit because I think that especially as a producer, Walter is smart enough to say, this is a, this is a pause, you know, this is a, this is a moment of pause and we can kind of do this a little bit of this, like kind of like nod reference to, to what we've done in the past. Yeah. And then I guess on to United Kids. I mean, I, you know, we were talking about earlier about like the, the, the vibe, the aesthetic was very like, um, you know, kind of this like swing, you know, bit butterfly collar, like knit shirt vibe, you know, creepers and whatever. I, I think that they were, and I mean, I think it's obvious that 
and it's pretty well documented. I think that like Siv, especially, but I think all these guys were super into Oi. Yeah. And I think this is their take on an Oi song. Like, I think this is them being like, Hey, we're going to make kind of a, our, you know, our Cox bar song, you know, our, our, you know, whatever. And like, I mean, shock troops is a pop record. <laughs> like it's not, you know, like it's not a, it's not a mean record at all. You know, like, like the best way records aren't mean records. They're kind of slapsticky and fun and, yeah. you know, and so, I mean, I think that to me, this just feels like kind of the crop. It's like their take on that. Yeah. I mean, this song, it feels like it could be on uh, a give them the boot comp. And I don't even say that as a diss. Like, I, you know, they it could, be a drop like it could easily <laughs> fit in there. But also like when you're talking about like Cox bar, it's like, you know, or any kind of like always stuff. I feel like it, it owes it to me. It owes a lot to like stiff little fingers, you know, which is, yeah just like a poppy pub rock band and that's what they're going from to there you know um so yes it feels like of course this will be you know like a poppier song but it's a poppier song more in that tradition than and in the thing you got to think about again you you, the context of like this record is made in what 95 when was you know inflammable materials made material made like 80 Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I always maybe. think of it as like a 70s record, but it could just be like 81 or yeah, 79, 80 maybe. Yeah. So that's only like 15 years earlier, you know, and think about what was 15. I mean, this record, this record now to us is 25 years ago. Like, it's yeah, just, we're further away from Civ than they were from Stiff Little Fingers. Yeah, and that's what's weird because I think like when thinking about like when I pick up something like Civ, but I think about it feels like such a long distance from it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's weird when you put it in the context of like how far away we are from that or like how far away like even 2005 was, you know, to now as opposed to like someone was it was like the distance between like the first star wars to the prequel to like the new one and then it's just like i'm just like fuck time well, is- point about 2005 i mean it, this would be if 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 they're referencing stiff little fingers or i mean even any of the other bands we're talking about i mean you know shock troops or whatever i mean i, I i'm shock troops came out in like i think like 78 maybe 79 um maybe later i can't remember exactly but like essentially it's about 15 years before this like the the we're i mean 15 years ago was 2005 what's music from 2005 that we would be referencing you know it's like that's not that long ago 2005 does not feel like that long ago to me you know and so um i i think it's like you know that's that's the reality for it is that there is a lot of that kind of too and i think that there again i think specifically with this song it it, to me feels like a very deliberate i mean even being called united kids like this you know I mean, it's so obviously like a nod, you know, um, and that's definitely a thing. I think. I mean, they're like I said, it's pretty well documented that they they like that stuff, you know. Yeah, and I guess like even like soundtrack for violence, like that feels like that's like I don't know much more to say about that song. It's pretty it's thirty-two like, seconds long. Yeah, it tells you what it is in the song in the thirty. I seconds. mean, the gang vocal on "Go Home" when everybody just yells "Go Home" is like solid i mean just so solid 
Um, that thing I was talking about of kind of like guitars as layers and like the production value, even though it's a 32 minute, just incredibly fast hardcore song. I love this song. I mean, I love this song. This is maybe one of my favorite songs on the record, even though it's only 32 seconds. Um, the there's like this screeching guitar at the end that comes in. That's just like, if you isolated it, you'd be like, that sounds awful. <laughs> but I think it speaks to the production mind of Walter to just be like, there's this song, this like, it, it's like, this song is already like just totally pummeling. And then in the last like 15 seconds or 10 seconds of the song, which is half the song almost, there's this like other guitar that comes in in the background. That's just like, I mean, it sounds like a train coming off the tracks. Like it's just, it's so energetic. And I mean, it's kind of funny cause I think it's a song that you could potentially be the most violent to for this record. Yeah. And it's this, and the lyrics are, you know, this is not a soundtrack for violence. And like, I think that that's also speaks to sort of the vibe of them being like this super posy band, like being like, look, you know, tried to make the scene your home, you know, it, it call me. I, I wonder if it's also a little bit of a, of a dig at white power people. It definitely kind of carries on the same theme as that from, you know, from, from the grill biscuit stuff. And, and I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a great song. It's a great song for sure. Yeah. I feel like it's like, ah, now I, I know we've been talking for a long time, but it feels like thinking about this song as we're like, more than an hour and a half into it makes me think of a conversation that would be a bigger conversation to have with like hardcore as a whole and, you know like it's it's uh something like this also makes me think of how like bands like Civ or even back to gorilla biscuits were kind of pushing against the notion of that how everything was like so insular too um i feel like there's a lot of that on this whole record that's you know just you know kind of i feel like what what ends up being the the hurting hardcore in a way is so that it only wants to be the one thing and so it's not always so inviting years you know yeah but then it's a every few years it's sort of these people are like you know the kind of gatekeepers of or like this is what it is in this moment and it can't be anything else you know And and it's interesting because i think that you you end up you end up with I mean, to me, this song is like as much of an anthem to the cause of anti-violence at shows as "Back to the Gym, Go Back to the Gym" by Battery. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but it's yeah. like it's it's the same sentiment. I mean, it's basically saying like, "Hey, like we get it. You're here to beat people up, and like that's just not what we're here for. We don't want to be." And I think especially the the notion of the soundtrack for violence, like the idea that like we don't necessarily even want not just want you to be here and be violent. We don't want to be the soundtrack for it. Like we don't. We don't want to be a party to what you're doing because by our music being the, the, the thing that's instigating this for you, we feel responsible, you know? And I think, so the statement of like, we're not going to be that for you, you know? And obviously you have this in the context of like, you know, kind of famously Fugazi being like, don't mosh at our shows and, you know, kicking people out that are, you know, if you watch instrument, it's like, he pulls the dude up on stage and like kicks him out and stuff. You know, it's like, I mean, I think that there's definitely a current of that at this time, especially. And it, and it goes back to this thing. I mean, I have friends who not that long ago would be like, hardcore is not any good if it's not violent, you know? And it's like, I just have never been that person. I've never, you know, subscribed to that notion. I think a lot of the people that I have heard say that in the past would, would disown those comments now, you know? But I think that there is sort of this like, aspect of especially new york hardcore that is 
notoriously very violent and, and very rough. And I mean, you look at Cro-Mags, you know, you look at Agnostic Front, that stuff is violent, rough music, Warzone even, I think, to some degree. And, you know, in that context, I think you can understand why there's younger kids coming up, the people who end up being in these bands, Civ and Girl Biscuits and whatever, that are a little bit like, hey, we don't want a part of that. Like, we want to, we love it. We, we you know, we're, we're here for the music. We love these bands. But, you know, then the other side of that reaction is Madball, you know, and it's like, we're just like, no, we love the violence. Let's let's be more violent, you know. And, uh, and not to say that that's not the right reaction either. I mean, I, I don't agree with that that reaction, but I do understand why that happens. Yeah, I mean, I really don't agree with that reaction, but I really like Madball. Yeah, I mean, same. <laughs> like, I you yeah. know, it's like I'm like stuck, and it's like I don't know, you know, I don't know how to, because it's like I just simply don't feel like that's the way to be. I think some of it, it's like I get that things are gonna get violent, and someone might get hurt, but then it's like coming up in the time frame that I did, I guess like more in the metalcore scene, there was so much outward violence, you know, and just straight up spin kicking into people's heads yeah. on purpose. And then, you know, things into uh, any sort of initial gangs at the time, you know, like it was, you know, it's, there was so much of that I almost seemed to be and It's hard to like make a correlation because it was so many years from, but it's like, in the early 2000s it felt like there was like purposely there was almost a reaction to go the other way you know and well, i think that just kind of just reaction to pc culture right so like when i got into hardcore the bands that got me i mean kind of when i understood that it was hardcore and i was like i'm choosing to listen to this because it's hardcore not just kind of the general punk that i thought grill biscuits and, and bands like civ and minor threat were when i started to be able to see that the, the delineation between punk and hardcore um, I mean, it was bands like Chokehold, you know, and, and I remember being like ashamed that I liked Snapcase because they were kind of like macho. And I mean, Snapcase is like the least macho of that <laughs> band. You're wearing a Strife shirt. I mean, it's like Strife was kind of like probably significantly more macho and they weren't even that macho compared to like Earth Crisis, you know? Yeah. So it's like, but it to me was like, I only listened to the kind of like, you know, very political, very PC into the spectrum. And it was absolutely against that. I mean, it was just, in, implicitly anti-violent, you know, and, and, and so, you know, very much following the kind of Fugazi mindset about it, you know? So for me, like bands like Madball were never a thing I listened to because I never listened to victory bands when I was younger, because like, to me, it was just like, that's macho. And I'm not, I don't, I don't like macho stuff. Like I, you know, I, I, I like sports now, but <laughs> I didn't like sports then. And it's kind of, to me, it was like, these are the same people. You know, these are football players playing heavy music and I don't care. I never got into Pantera for that reason. You know, I just, I, it, like, to me, it was like, this is not, this is not for me. This is not what I want. And so um, I think that's why kind of the Discord stuff always appealed to me. That's why the bands like Chokehold and, you know, the more metalcore kind of stuff, the earlier kind of more metalcore type stuff was appealed to me because it didn't feel like that was the ethos was that, hey, I want you to go out and punch the guy next to you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I always felt like a, like a man without a country with yeah, that thing sure. because it's like I love Discord and I've come to even like I feel like I was hesitant to like judge because I felt like anyone at a show in Wilmington growing up that had a judge shirt, they were probably going to kick me in the head. And so and then when I kind of first heard judge or, you know, uh, you know, the storm, you know, like any of the songs on that record, I was just like, man, I really missed out. Like, this is good. You know, but it was like I, I was able to be lucky enough to probably just not really be 
I wasn't going to metalcore shows anymore. So I didn't have, I didn't have to steep myself in it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Judge has this lore and I mean, there's probably people that would dispute this, but I don't think Judge was particularly a violent band. You know, like, I don't think that, I think that the lure of who Mike became after the band feeds this notion that they were this like militant, violent band, you know? I, I think a lot of it was cosplay to some degree. Yeah. They, you know? I mean, they say that in like either the Vice interview, uh, the Vice series on Judge, um, he talks about that directly. It was kind of like, well, if you think we're these people, then we're going to show you what this is. And then sort of, I guess he felt like the way it backfired was then those people kind of started coming to their shows and they were like, well, that wasn't the intention, you yeah. know? So that that's always how I felt. And I think that's, some of that made me really like judge more is like, I get the sentiment and the music and wanting the anger there, but like to kind of use it as your soundtrack for violence. Uh, you know, it, it's, I don't think that's what these artists always intend. No. And I, it's interesting. I mean, even just talking about specifically about, judge i mean as i'm looking at myself wearing the sib shirt like their logo is kind of a reference to the judge logo you know yeah. it's like, i mean you're wearing a stripe shirt and it's kind of the same thing it's like you know it's like varsity outline font you know is it like a birth old city font yeah or whatever you know and it's <laughs> like i mean that's you know it's it's kind of clear that like there's some aesthetic lineage there as well you know but yeah i mean i think that that's you know yeah, I think we've I think we've explored this. We've song. explored uh, violence. So, boring summer, which is like a, it's a neat transition. Once again, that kind of that, that you know to you know like hardcore versus something pop here. Like really, I guess to use palate cleanser again, like allows yeah. you to do that. I, you know what? In in I would say it's not until very recently that I've actually really appreciated this song. I think it was one of the songs that I would always skip. You know, if I was going to, especially if I was just like kind of in the mood for the hardcore songs, this is probably one that I was like, ah, this is a little, you know, it's a little, a little too much of the kind of, maybe goes just slightly too far into the kind of poppy end of things. But upon revisiting it recently, I've just been like, man, this song's actually really good. And like, I would argue that the guitars on it sound like, there's a lot of like really similar guitar tone type stuff happening to what Walter was doing in Quicksand. And it's interesting if you go back and listen to it with that context, because there's a lot of kind of like textural things that are really, really similar to quicksand. It does not sound like a quicksand song. I'm not saying that it sounds like a quicksand song, but I think he did a lot of similar things. And I think he's pulling a lot of that same, you know, you're talking about Bush earlier, like that kind of nineties guitar rock aesthetic creeps into this song in kind of unique ways that I think make it a little more interesting than maybe the face of it of, a song about a boring summer you know yeah and i feel like this is as close as the record gets to really having like every record around this time had like the joke song and this is just as close as i feel like it gets you know like you know all always like every descendants record always had like the the skipper you know the fart yeah. noise or whatever you know um and this is as close as it gets and i don't think it is that you know to the to a credit of it yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you're talking about cutting a song. If this song wasn't on this record, I think this record would still be as good as it is. But I think that this rec this song has a place on this record as well. Yeah, it, but it also, it feels like it, it could be now, especially I think about it in the context of the discography, I wouldn't have minded if it was like a reissue track. 
Like it's a strong reissue track. I feel like. Yeah. If, if, if you, if this sound came out and you were like, it wasn't on the record and it was like, Oh, this was cut from the record. Here's a B side. You'd be like, oh, that's a good song. I'm glad that I have access to it now. So. Yeah. And then. That's a good then, thing up that palate cleanser to E2 Brute. Yeah. Which you said <laughs> is the uh, best hardcore song ever recorded. So what I mean by that is, is I don't, I'm not even necessarily saying it's the best hardcore song ever. I think it is a contender. But I think the recording on this song is so flawless. There's no other hardcore song that's ever been recorded as well as this song. And as meticulously. I, I just don't think there has been. Um, I mean, there's so many studio tricks on this song for what is essentially a very good, I mean, it's a, an incredibly well-written hardcore song for one. It kind of that thing of like, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It feels like a long song. It's kind of an interesting one because it feels like a long song in the context of this record, especially, and especially with the most, you know, the, proximally the, the, the hardcore song before it is 32 seconds long, but it's still less than three minutes. And I mean, but there's this crazy build in it that just like makes you wait. And it's just, you can feel the tension in that. And it's like, man, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, the, the, there's stereo panning there's pick slides, the drum rolls are panned, like they pan left to right. Uh, you know, like lyrics, like soul searching, you don't fucking get it. Like, I mean, I just think that it, this, this song embodies that anger that we're talking about of like, you know, kind of just seeing the stuff around and, and, you know, I think the soul searching, you don't fucking get it is like, you know, it's kind of that thing of like, Hey, we're, we're working on, we're trying to find some stuff, man. We're like, and I, and I almost feel like that's al almost kind of influenced by the shelter tangential relationship of like, you know, people were knocking shelter because they were Krishna's and it's like, Hey, like, let them do their thing. Like, let us, let us explore what we want to explore and figure out what we're doing because like, we're all just trying to figure it out, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, the gang vocals at the, in the end of the song are just, I mean, the best gang vocals ever, like literally ever. I think that they, the, the gang vocals on a Bane record come close, but this are, these, these are the, the prototype, you know? Um, there's a screeching guitar thing. He does the thing I was talking about of like the, the guitar that comes in that's just like maniacal at the end, you yeah. know? Like the, the, the other thing I was, when I was listening to it yesterday to kind of make these notes and stuff, it was like at the end, especially, there's this like balance between palm muting and open strumming that, varies back and forth where I, where I feel like in most cases of a hardcore band be like, okay, this is the palm muting part. We're going to palm mute throughout the whole thing. And it's like palm mute, open strum, palm mute, open strum. It kind of does this back and forth thing of the same pattern that to me is like so, so masterful, you know, is it, it makes the part so much more dynamic, you know? And so, I mean, I just think this is like, again, this kind of feels like the mic drop of a hardcore song. I mean, technically it's the last, you know, real hard. I mean, it's the last hardcore song on the record. I think it is the sort of like, it feels to me like, and again, this is probably my, you know, mytholo mythologizing of this record, but it feels like kind of the Walter mic drop of like, I've now made the, the perfect hardcore song. I'm um, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. You know, now I'm going to make rock songs. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I, I tried to like think about it and refute that because it just seems like, but in terms of, I guess, using the phrase recorded does kind of make it hard because I, I feel like my first inclination was to go to like minor threat even. 
and I'm like, there's so many like perfect hardcore songs, but am I doing that kind of like, well, the best rock songs, you need to go back to the Beatles to really, you know, it's like, you know, it's like time shouldn't change if this is good or not. If you wanted to make a case for In My Eyes being the best hardcore song ever, I would, I'd be there for it. You know? But I guess the caveat you said was recorded. And so, not, I mean, you know, it's hard for me. And, and also, I don't know if I have like song recall in a way. I even tried to reach out. I reached out to Bob from Axe to Grind because I feel like he's more like, you know, he's more tuned into that. Like, what's one you can think of off the top of your head? And he, he said Minor Threat as well. But he was like, oh, but it's such a good song, though. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, so he, yeah, he's like, it's a great hardcore song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is like, there are hardcore songs like, I mean, I, you know, I, I referenced, I mean, I think Hatebreed has, has really benefited from great production. They don't write great songs. I mean, they're kind of boring and too long and, you know, all the things we've talked about being criticisms of songs. I mean, like, they just, they overstay their welcome, but they, they sound incredible. You know, all those Hatebreed yeah. are incredible. Um, I mean, a lot of bands, especially in the, in the once digital recording becomes a thing, have really great recordings. I think the fact that this was recorded not digitally uh, and, you know, is, is exists in the time it does. I mean, it's just leaps and bounds better than anything else that was happening. And, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just so good. I mean, like I said, if you make a case, you could make a case to me that like a Girl Biscuit song or an, in my, or, you know, a Minor Threat song or, um, you know, there's a lot of things that I think you could make a case. I mean, I, I think you could make a decent case for Inside Out or Burn to be in that category of like some of the best hardcore songs ever written. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, to, to you know, if, if you told me I could listen to one hardcore song the rest of my life, this would probably be it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, well, I start thinking of things that aren't really like canonically hardcore and i'm like well what about then i'm like digging way too deep where i'm like what deep wound song and it's like nobody would say that you know <laughs> so it's like it's like i don't know i feel like i would have to like think about it more and i'm making monuments to thieves is a great song but it's like is is his heroes gone a hardcore band that's question one and are we gonna consider his heroes gone you know legendary enough in the canon of hardcore if they are if they may if they beat that first hurdle are they are they a important enough band to sort of put in that conversation, you know? Um, yeah. It's so funny because I mean, talking about Canon, like I'm a big believer of Canon. I think Canon matters. So when I felt, when people ask me like, what's your favorite band or, you know, whatever, I, I really take Canon into account. I think there are a lot of great bands that have really awful records that soil their legacy. I'm a big believer of that. And so I love shelter, but I think there's some really not great shelter records. I, I don't think there's quite as many bad records as people want to say, but I don't think that their Canon is as, flawless as it could have been had they been a little more meticulous about stuff um civ is a band that does not hold up to that standard because the second record is awful i mean it's truly unlistenable um in a way that is appalling <laughs> for how good this record is you know i mean it's just so night and day and i and i like i said i think it's pretty much that it's a it's a pretty clear i think it's clear to me that like walter walked away and which would also suggest that this is kind of like the continuation of Girl Biscuits, whereas Civ is sort of like the second Civ record is like Civ as a band making their own record. But like it's it's wonder it's like was there not like another like hardcore songwriter that they could have gotten? Or I guess like at that point maybe they were like maybe it was kind of like we don't need Walter now, you know. And are they chasing? I mean, 
because the thing is, it's crazy about that record. I mean, well, you know, obviously we're kind of skipping ahead, but like the crazy thing about that record is that like the vocals are bad. Like his vocals just sound bad. Like they don't, they don't sound good. And it's not even necessarily the patterns or, or the lyrics. It's just the vocals themselves are really bad. And so I, I know that, I mean, obviously Walter sings the hits is, is him basically giving Siv the like template to sing to and teaching him the notes. Like he's writing the vocal notes even. I just think Siv is not a, a writer in that way. You know, and I don't think that, I think you need somebody to sort of be like, here's the note you sing, you know? Um, I think he's good at it when he has that. And I think he's, he's a phenomenal frontman when he has that. But when he doesn't have that, it, it clearly falls really flat. Yeah, I, I mean, think that's why you see Siv hasn't been in any other bands. Yeah, you know? I, I think it's like the idea that like a lot of these frontmen are like performers and a lot of us, I mean, I can't do what Siv does yeah. because I'm not that type of performer. You know, it's like, you know that that's kind of where it's like it's like i guess like as i i'm also doing the thing in my head where it's like i feel like we you know said mean things about them so i gotta give them like credit but it's like i don't know if there was like really beef there it's like it could have just been simply walter wasn't available because of what walter was doing at the time or whoever you know i mean again it's it's maybe mythologizing in my own mind yeah. but like, like i said i think e2 brute is like when you've written that song recorded that song where do you go from there? And I think to me, it feels like, okay, they wanted to make a record that chased the success they saw from the second record or from the first record. Um, and so it's a lot more, I mean, there's only really two hardcore songs on the second record. Um, and those songs are great. And so I don't know if it's that those songs were written with Walter or if Charlie wrote those songs and they are, you know, in his wheelhouse and so he could write that. I mean, nobody ever is like, thinks about Judge and is like, yeah, Charlie was the guy, you know, everybody's like, it's Porcel. So I just don't know, like, is there, I, you know, is there a, a, a history for Charlie as a musician to be like, there's this guy that was in this band that was really good, you know, that he was the primary songwriter and they were really good. I don't know that there is, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe there is, I don't, I just don't know. I'm not enough of a nerd about that shit, but like, yeah. but I do know that Judge is not, nobody's ever talking about Charlie as the guitar player. They're always talking about Porcel. Yeah. You know? And so, um, and I mean, clearly Porcel is another guy that is pretty prolific and great at songwriting. So, um, cause I think again, back to Shelter, the bad Shelter records are the records that are the less than good Shelter records are the ones that Porcel's not on, you know? Um, and so, you know, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, going back to E.T. Brute though, it's like, I think that the, I think that the fact that they follow it with, there's really two more songs on this record. One of them's a cover. So it's all twisted, which is a Kraut cover. And, you know, I think it's a statement because Kraut is like kind of an underrated New York hardcore band or New York punk band, early, early band, you know, kind of early in that, that canon. And, you know, All Twisted is like their hit, like their kind of big song. Um, I think it's very deliberate. Again, I think it's this, I think it, it I, you know, maybe I'm mythologizing it, but like, you know, to have a song like E.G. Brute, which is this mic drop type of a song, and then to be like, and then here's this classic New York song that you probably don't know is a cover. You probably don't have the context to understand, you know, the vet, the average person, especially in the 90s. I mean, this is pre-internet. This is pre, you know, like you can't just Google it and be like, oh, that's a Kraut song. You know, like it's, it, I mean, I, I'll be completely honest and say I didn't know it was a cover until a lot later. Um, until, I didn't know until right now. Yeah, so it's it's a cover of the band Kraut, and it's like, you know, they, they're like a, I think this, the record it's on came out in like 83 or something, 84. Um, 
it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's an, it's a little bit obscure and I think it's still obscure. I mean, it, you know, Kraut's not somebody that, you know, they don't get talked about in the same kind of way that a lot of other bands do. I mean, I, I think kind of the real nerds know about them, but like they're not, they're not a side by side or, a, you know, they don't, they weren't on Rev, they weren't, you know, um, and so, or, you know, whatever, like kind of early, early stuff. They weren't, you know, they didn't, weren't on Discord or something. Yeah. I mean, it feels like with the way, the song goes it, it also kind of has like a that published kind of feel that you know i wouldn't straight up say it's like an oi song but it, it goes more in that direction well and i think that i think that this song is doing two things i think the placement of this song where it is is to say here's our here's our introduction to the canon and here's theirs you know it's kind of like we're going to make here's the best hardcore song ever recorded to you know to, to, to assert that again and then here's this song that is before all of us, that is sort of the, the, the marker that was laid down by this New York hardcore band, a very early New York hardcore band. Um, probably, I don't know if Kraut in their day were considered even a hardcore band, you know? Um, and so it's, and, you know, and I think that the other thing, the other note I made to myself is to your point, like this is a point of reference for what they sound like. I mean, I think it's like, it's kind of like, oh, you think we're a nineties band, but actually listen to this song it's pretty much like this and we're kind of just trying to ape that. And I think it speaks to sort of this like, hey, we're, we're drawing a context that is broader than just us being the continuation of Grill Biscuits or a 90s band. Like we're actually referencing something more, you know? And again, it's like for the nerds, right? It's like, you'd have to be kind of a, on the inside of the New York hardcore nerddom at that point to be like oh this is a because i mean they put out a seven into this song like it's not like this song was like buried i mean they they really embraced this song as a song and so yeah i don't know i don't know i didn't know all that so. yeah <laughs> and then so uh don't got to prove it i mean this is a you know again i think this kind of falls in the same category as as boring summer it it feels like taking the kind of jokiness of Gorilla Biscuits and like, you know, the kind of like posy vibe thing and just making it into like a totally poppy song, you know, and like has a really good message, but it's also just kind of like a little cheesy. Um, I think this is the other song. If I could, if there was a song I had to drop off the record, it would probably be, this would be another candidate. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's on the, it, there's a live version on the antimatter comp that came out a year later um, that, you know, you can hear in the introduction on that version, like how earnest the sentiment is from Civ. And I think it is that thing of like, you know, just kind of, I mean, it is a statement of what they're saying. You don't got to prove it to anyone. You know, it's like, we're just gonna, you know, I don't know. It's, I think it's a good way, It's a, for the type of band that they are, it's a good kind of fun way to kind of, once again, like another kind of palate cleanser to kind of take you out of the, uh, you know, kind of encapsulate the whole record too. It's like, you know, I think like Marching Goals kind of reminds you of like the theme, the kind of sonic theme. And this one sort of tries to tell you like overall my thesis, if this were a college paper someone was writing, like I yeah. feel like it sort of sums it up and there was a blanket over all of it to kind of let you know what you just, you know, digested. And there's a, there's like a schizophrenic nature to this record, right? Because it's like, you have these songs that every other song essentially is like, 
super bright and posy and happy and fun. And then the other half are E2 Brute, which is vicious lyrically as well. Soundtrack for Violence, which is a just a blazing song. Uh, you know, State of Grace, Slip Through Your Hands. Like, those are all songs that are like pretty dark lyrically and musically. And so it's this kind of like schizophrenic back and forth of like, which band are you? You know, and I think that they do a good job of kind of making it feel con like there's a continuity, but I could also see if you were coming to this band as someone who didn't have any familiarity with kind of more punk type hardcore music, you'd be like, what is going on? And I think honestly, if I'm, if I'm being, you know, being honest with myself, I think that was my take on it as I was like, I don't understand this. Like I can't, I don't, I don't think I fully appreciated this record until I was a little older because it was like, you know, it became kind of nostalgic for me because I had seen them and I, you know, I was like a fan, but it, it wasn't until later on that I like was revisiting this record. And I was like, actually this record's kind of a masterpiece, you know, yeah. I had never really kind of given it the credit for. In the same yeah. way that everybody else did. Everybody else kind of writes it off as like, okay, it's fun and there's some good songs, but like, you know, it's not yeah, that. I mean, and I guess like, I mean, you wanted to, like Blasted, I would say is like basically on the record, you know? And then like yeah, I can't remember cover. like because Bless is, is a hidden track on the CD I think yeah I think the way the way I read it was it did like the thing a hidden track did at the time yeah. where it would kind of just there's silence space and then it goes into it at like yeah. a certain mark and I mean um, yeah. Bless was a Moon Dog song it's actually listed as they said we were the best was the title on the Moon Dog demo or when the Moon Dog demo has gotten released. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know the full context of Moondog. I, I kind of get the sense that it was like an entirely Walter made thing. I think they only played one show from what I was reading. Um, and it was it was kind of a mishmash of some of the people who were in Civ, some people who were in Gorilla Biscuits. Um, and I would imagine that Walter may have played everything on the record, on the demo, on the Moondog demo, except for maybe the drums, which, you know, Luke or Sammy played. Um, and again, I'm not enough of a, somebody's going to be like, no, it was so-and-so, and I'm just not Yeah, it feels like the only comparison I can make with what my recollection of Moondog stuff is, it makes me think of, like, uh, a lot of stuff Ian was doing before, like, who got, like, Egg Hunt, Palehead, yeah. and, like, uh, the, the Grand Union, like, you know, they, they, he was doing these singles that were kind of like trying to poke at something different, you know, and kind of figure out where you're going to go. I guess like the Ray and Porcel kind of EP does the same thing. Like we're going to do something completely different. But in this case, it's like they just incorporate into them a lot of yeah, things. They become like a, a product. They just kind of stay where they are with like Ian and Ray and Porcel and don't really like bleed into the other bands in that kind of way yeah i mean it's it's interesting because like i think moondog is i remember it got digitally re-released i was actually looking this up last night because i was curious about it because it's not on dsps which is a bummer because it's great um i remember it got digitally released when mp3s were kind of just becoming a thing there was a label that like was a digital label which like at the time everyone was like what are you talking about but like they re-released it digitally just as mp3s and that's the only time it's ever been officially released um and it you know I mean, it's good. It's really good. It's like, I think six or seven songs. And it's like, I mean, it's really good. Um, this is by far the best song, but it is that it's, it's, it's Walter 
really exploring both being a vocalist, like a proper vocalist in a band, and also um, writing kind of heavy music that's that's angry. You know, that's not this sort of like, um, you know, it's it's almost like his answer to Judge and Project X and whatever. You know, it's like it kind of feels like him being like, yeah, I can write angry songs too, and I'm pretty good at it actually. Um, and just letting off some steam, you know? And I think again, like there's a lot, the the lyrical content of this song in particular, I think all of the Moondog songs really have that thread of like, you know, he was talking about it on that podcast that we keep referencing, but you know, that just like, there was this like, this dichotomy between loyalty and wanting to sort of like, you know, the kind of like uh, youthfulness of what they were doing and the scene they were a part of in the, you know, I mean, so much of that's called youth crew, you know, like they're like a part of this thing, but they're also growing up. And so how do you reconcile the like kind of overly simplified notions of life that come out of that scene with growing up and becoming an adult, you know, and, and, and confronting things like having a falling out with Jules or, you know, whatever. I mean, and there's probably for every public falling out, there's probably, you know, 150, you know, that we don't know about. And so those confrontations, I think, are, are what is interesting. And I, you know, I think with this song, like, I almost want to say, like, the fact that it is a hidden track and it's on the record, it almost is saying, like, again, it's that Easter egg of, like, if you're, if you're in the know enough to know what Moondog is or to be kind of one of our people and have been aware of this, this is for you. I think it's also that that song is so good that he couldn't leave it on the cutting room floor. And so he was just like, look, like, we're going to, I want to get the song recorded properly. You know? It's a great song. <laughs> and I mean, it's phenomenal. And, and I think that, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just so good. And like, you know, it makes you, it makes you regret that Moondog didn't ever have a proper recording. Cause like, and I mean, again, I, you know, you know what, some of these songs may have been in his mind, originally Moondog songs, you know, it's like, it's kind of blurry, you know, it's all kind of a little bit of a blur between yeah. and, and Moondog and Siv, like kind of where, you know, and I, I mean, the same thing happens with, you know, with quicksand and uh, world's fastest car and rival schools. There's sort of this blurry area between of like some stuff that people call like the lost quicksand record. Some people call it the, the lost rival schools record. And like, you know, it just kind of gets to be, and there's like songs that, you know, in that era that get kind of repurposed in different ways throughout. And, you know, he's one guy writing songs. And so it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter what band it is. He's writing songs, you know? So um, yeah, super interesting. And then like, I mean, I think on the vinyl version, the other bonus track, I don't know if blessed is actually a bonus track on the vinyl. I think it's just like track 17. Yeah. And then, and then glue yeah. is on there, which is the SSD cover. And again, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, I mean, it's just a great song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like a classic great song. And like, kind of saying like hey like you know i mean again the talking about the font even you know like that origin point is ssd right like that's where that starts yeah you know yeah i mean it's definitely like i mean my, my comment i guess on glue as a song is like i i'm someone that goes more toward the first ssd record than the you know second one but but it's good it's just when they start kind of incorporating more kind of metal leanings starts being like the downfall of ssd um until it gets really good at how we rock yeah. <laughs> you know i don't know i mean to be fair i'm not like i like ssd i'm not like uh, enough of a nerd about that early era of stuff to like have a really uh i couldn't have a, 
a multi-hour conversation like I've had about the Civ record about SSD. <laughs> and it's been multi-hours. This is by far the longest I've talked to anyone. And I can't, I can't even think of parts that I would want to cut. You yeah. know, but that's that's my inner dialogue of what I'll have to do with this episode. <laughs> um, you know, I think Not known we, for being uh, um, concise in my communication. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I love it because I don't think I think I don't think a lot of this really exists about Civ, and that's kind of like my my point that I would sum up. I guess my end is like I wish there was a curator for this. It feels like it's just been left. Even when you look on Spotify outside of everything it's like it's kind of hard to find and it's not really categorized properly and it's weird because yeah. if you look it up on spotify sometimes the discography is not even properly listed for some reason like it's yeah. like you can't get to it you have to kind of search around to get to it and like which i don't know what that's about i had to like favorite all the tracks to kind of get them to pop up easier yeah and um but i don't know who needs to i don't want it to be me i mean that's equal yeah. vision i guess because equal vision's one who have the have the discography um uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Rev did a reissue of the vinyl, which for a long time was just totally out of print. Um, and it's like, I think in print, you can still get copies, which is great. Um, you know, they have merch. The merch kind of sucks that they have now. The shirt I'm wearing, I actually ordered off the internet. I think it's a bootleg. Um, it, it came from like, I think, Asia somewhere. Yeah, I'll call the cops after this. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think if someone like curated the whole image, like even it's like a more, you know, a, a more modern artist kind of, created a package like even with the imprint stuff i don't know if it needs to be pressed again would probably be cool but I, the discography looks great like it yeah it looks cool i yeah. think the i think it i don't know set your goals is such it's kind of a cool product of the time but it really looks like the time and i think that the problem with the discography is as much as i'm like great you compiled all this stuff there's a bunch of like you know kind of like seven inch songs i mean this the first song after these songs on that discography is social climber which isn't it doesn't hold up to any of these songs, I don't think, but it's a good song. And like, um, and I would say the two songs on that record, on that second record that I really think are great are Owner's Manual, which has an incredible, I think is the penultimate, like, or the ultimate example of that, like screeching guitar kind of feedback. I mean, it's like guitar feedback literally is just a texture. And then the song Worms I View, which is also just a, another really fast, great hardcore song. And actually weirdly, when I first encountered those songs, I think I downloaded them off the internet, um, like kind of in the blog era. Um, it, I actually somehow they ended up where Worms I View and Owner's Manual were like back to back in my track list. And if you play them, that's not even the order they're on in the record. That's actually the later song ahead of the, the earlier song on the record. And they're far apart on the record. But if you put those two songs, Worms I View first and then Owner's Manual second, back to back and treat it as one song, it's actually a phenomenal song. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, it, and they work together in that way. It's really weird. But like, um, you know, that's just like a kind of revisionist producer moment. But like, I mean, I think that they, yeah, I mean, it just, they fell off a cliff, you know, and, and I think it does a disservice to set your goals. I don't necessarily think that the, the 13 day getaway or whatever that song, that record's called should be scrubbed from history the way that, you know, Shelter Beyond Planet Earth kind of has been. Um, I think it's valuable to have it out there. I, I, I'm a big believer of like, if it exists, put it on the internet because like people want to hear it. But I do think that it does a disservice to the to the greatness of set your goals to sort of have it bundled in with this other record that is so subpar. You know, it'd be like, you know, taking the best record of a band and then like they're, you know, it would be taking SSD and like if you mash it all into one discography, yeah, 
you know, I, mean, I would argue like there's, there's a lot of bands like that where it's like, there's great records. And if you kind of have to digest them without any context of like, this is one record, this is another record, it does a disservice to, to the better record. And so, yeah, I mean, there is usually like a, uh, well, not, I like discography fatigue, like even like a lot of the revelation stuff that, you know, the bold uh, discography kind of diminishes as it goes on, you know? Uh, well, that's what you're seeing. Like, I mean, I, you know, I don't know that this needs to happen, but, you know, Rev is about to do this like turning point reissues or whatever, and they're breaking it all back out from the original, you know, from that discography that Jade Tree did. And like, you know, I kind of understand why they're doing that, you know, because it is that thing of like, these are, records aren't written to be heard in kind of that way. I mean, I say this as somebody who literally a week ago put out a discography for a band, but like, you know but that's still only like what 25 songs total not yeah. even actually yeah, it's 24 i think is the total. Oh, okay and it's I one lp one ep and then a handful of songs and like you know the lp exists on one lp it's on vinyl the lp exists we're talking about writing our for people that don't know that um but like the lp exists as the a and b side you know entirely encapsulated on the a and b side of the of the double lp so i mean it is sort of in a format where like you're consuming it in that way but like um yeah, I just think that this record deserves it to be separated out. And I think there is so much about the aesthetic that isn't present in that, you know, discography pack shot that's on DSPs. Um, I think that, you know, the, yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate. Like they I mean, don't exist outside of the discographies on Spotify, which is no. weird. I mean, I don't know if other digital services do i mean i don't have apple music but i i think they probably present them and submit them in a similar way so it's probably across all of them and that i think that's like where that seaweed record that wasn't on like span away wasn't on and that's like to me that's the one i go back to now the yeah, most. Yeah. and like it's like it probably hasn't hurt it probably hasn't helped their legacy uh for seaweed in the same way that it hasn't helped civ's legacy to just be able to just go to that record because that could also like you're saying i'm agreeing with you it could be a turnoff to kind of keep going through and then it just gets worse you know or if you shuffle it you know if you just are somebody who like is like hey i'll listen to this guy if you let's hit shuffle and you shuffle it you're going to be really disappointed with half the songs you hear you know yeah. um i also think that like to your point of sort of somebody curating the legacy like there just isn't the nostalgia that exists for Grill Biscuits or Quicksand or, you know, Civ does a reunion and it's like, people care, but I, you know, I don't think anybody, they just have not had the same, they're just incredibly underrated and they haven't had the same. Yeah. yeah it's a bummer. Cause there's so much stuff where it's like, you know, I could list bands forever. There's bands that I feel like I wish if they were packaged in a different way, uh, they would have more legacy. And I, you know, bands that you would probably not even agree with, like I would say like, gin blossoms even you know like i like gin blossoms yeah. you know it's like you know it's it's like people file them in a different place than i feel like they deserve to be filed in. well and i mean it's interesting because if you think about like alone in a crowd they put out what three songs like yeah. that are their own songs you know uh they played one show ever and i went to a reunion that was sold out and packed you know and people and they were selling merch hand over fist I mean, I bought a long sleeve, you know, but it's like, they're not really a band. I mean, they're, they're set. Even it was like, what are they going to play? Like they don't, they're not a band. They never were a band. And they ended up playing a bunch of covers and they did, you know, like the dude from breakdown comes out and they did a breakdown song. You know, it's just like, they're doing a bunch of stuff. It was cool. It was cool. They did that stuff. They did some side-by-side -side songs, you know, it's like, cool. That's cool. I get it. You only had three songs, you know, you got to do that to fill a set, but it's like, 
I don't think Sib would get the same response. I don't think Sib could play. I mean, that was at the church in Philly. It's like, I don't think Sib would play the church in Philly and it would sell out. Maybe I'm wrong. I, hopefully I would be wrong. But like, I don't think it would be the same sort of like, the lore would not be the same. And I think yeah. it's because Siv just isn't held in that same regard, even though I would argue Siv wrote, Siv as a band has significantly more and better hardcore songs than Alone in the Crowd. Yeah. You know? I, don't, I mean, it's like, I don't disagree. <laughs> There's nothing really, if people really sat down and just listened to this record, I would say that they can't disagree with you. And so it's like, why is that? And I think that's just, again, back to the thing we're talking about of just like the way that legacies get held in certain regards and, you know, people hold certain biases against things and, you know, it's just what it is, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. And I mean, I, I kind of love the, the, you know, hot take bomb of this is the best hardcore record ever made because I mean, I do believe that. I do think that this is a really, I mean, you know, I, again, catch me on a day where you could probably get me to say it's something else, but I think more often than not, I would say this is, that's true of this record. And people, it blows people's minds. If I say that to people, it blows their minds. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, you're a moron, <laughs> you yeah. know? And it's like, and, and I, I, I kind of enjoy that. I love being that contrarian in that way. But I also think that like, I do love the notion of like, you know, it may be sparring, spurring somebody on to go listen to it and being like, ah, man, He's kind of got a point. I love that you hit up Bob Shedd and he was like, it's a good song. You know, like that's, that's the, the, the reality of it is I think if people, Bob's a good one too. Cause I think Bob is especially like, he's a little bit of a, a Walter devotee the way yeah. I am. And like, you know, I, I, again, I kind of feel like that dude's done very little wrong. I mean, I think he's had a couple missteps, but not a, not a lot. And I think in the grand scheme of things, his batting average is really high, you know, and, and, um, but I do think that it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to, if you actually can objectively look at this, I think it's, you know, it's hard to make a case that this isn't as good as I think it is. Yeah. Well, I guess on that note, uh, what do you have going up? I know we kind of, we've kind of passed by mentioning the Renee Heartbelt record that, you know, 6131 records just uh, released, but anything, I guess, more about that or? Yeah, we're, we got that coming out and or it just came out like last Friday. Um, it's going to go up on digital uh, we got everything remastered and so i'm excited for people to hear that on the digital platforms because oh, the cool. versions that are up now are the old 15 year old masters that are i mean i think the lp especially just sounds incredibly better now that it's been remastered um the response to that's been really cool they're a band that just you know i i loved and i was a part of in a very minor way kind of back when they were a band and um it's cool to kind of still be involved with them and and be able to like help them kind of have people do a revisit a lot of people i think have revisited the music that maybe didn't know about them and really have discovered how great of a band they were um you know it's cool that you know people are doing that i think especially and there's a lot of people that have have come out of the woodwork that were already fans and they were excited about it and so it's it's gone really well the response has been really great i mean i think the, the response has really shocked them even just in like how much people have cared and, and shown or you know an interest in what they're doing or what they did and um you know, we were kind of joking. They made an Instagram and, you know, most of those guys were in Count Me Out um, and, or, you know, the kind of main guys were in Count Me Out. And um, uh, that's not entirely true. That's a, that's a bit of an overstatement, but, you know, they Count Me Out to the reunions and it was like, you know, they didn't make an Instagram. They didn't, they kind of did their thing and went on, you know, but like, 
it seems like Renee is maybe sort of toying with the idea of like playing some shows when shows can happen again. And, yeah, I mean, they're a band that they could, with that sound, they can kind of age into it, you know, or, or you know, I, I think that's actually what I tend to want with people. It's like they are in, in everything we were talking about the inclination would be like, well, Renee didn't really hit at the time, or I'm not sure how well it was received at the time. It did not but hit. then the inclination would be to go back to count me out. Yeah. But it's like, Renee Hartfelt was really good. So it's like, you know, it's good. It would be great. And I think that though that sound, though they can age with it better than I think count me out could. And there's a and my, the thing about, I mean, I love count me out, but there's, yeah. there's a lot of bands that, that, there's, a, there's kind of a lot of hardcore bands, right? I mean, just, you know, maybe not a lot of bands that sound like Count Me Out specifically, but there's, you know, there's a lot of kind of hardcore bands to choose from in your, you know, desire to listen to heavy music. I think when it comes to kind of the more post-hardcore thing, it's kind of weird how few there are that are really kind of true, you know, like, I mean, obviously Quicksand is is sort of the, the high watermark, I would say, but like, um, there's not a lot of bands that did that specifically I mean, I think that seaweed record span away is, is that there's some, some of the same I am stuff that kind of gets in that realm. Like, um, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of bands that, that very specifically were doing that thing without kind of treading too close to the new metal sun. You know? Yeah. Or going into like the Elliot side or that. Right. And I mean, I mean, I think starts you know, into like the Jimmy world thing on when they're on their heavier. And so it's like, it's like a, it can be such a defined thing but it can easily go into sort of a pop or a new metal depending and on I which way that, i think that, that elliot again is one of those bands that in hindsight i'm like okay i'll give them i'll, I'll let him be called a post-hardcore band at the time they to me it's just an indie rock band you know and i mean i think even texas is the reason that's the thing it's like they're an indie rock band you know like they're not a post-hardcore band i think you can kind of give them some credit for being a post-hardcore band but like um but yeah very specifically the kind of heavy you know the things that make me like the Deftones now, there's not a lot of bands that do that. You know, there's not a lot of bands that 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 are capturing that sort of like balance in the way that I think Quicksand did so well, and and you know, Rival Schools obviously does, and and um, you know, and, and I mean, people look at like Far and Failure, and those are just not bands I ever got into, and I feel like they're a little maybe suffering from the same thing we talked about with Sunny Day, where it's like they just write songs that are a little bit less like concise. Um, I think that's the thing that Quicksand has is their hardcore songs that have been slowed down, you know? Yeah, I think, though, I wonder if, like Deftones, if anyone in Renee Hartfelt uh, is like an anti-vaxxer that might help with some <laughs> press cycles, you know? Maybe we just get some people talking about them. Is there somebody in the Deftones anti-vaxxer? I thought it was System of a Down that there was like a... No, that guy's like a... The drummer was like a Trump... Is a Trump yeah. supporter. Um, but I, the, I guess the Deftones guitarist came out on a podcast and talked about being a flat earther and an anti-vaxxer. So I'm not even speaking out of school. It's like his own words. So it's like, yeah. I'm not flipping anything he said. This is what he said, you know? Um, yeah, Deftones is one of those bands that like, they're a good band, but I don't, I don't know if any of them ever tried to convince me of a thing I'd believe it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sort of like buying whatever. All, all the pieces are there that it should be for me, but something just hasn't clicked. And I, I can't really speak outside of it more than that because it just hasn't clicked. But it's like Sergio's in the band. The riffs are there. I don't want to specifically point 
to just the singing because it's like I like into another, you know. Yeah. So it's like I mean, all the elements are there of things that I like. I love handsome, and people could point, you know, to that singer and whatnot. There's all these elements there, but for some reason it hasn't clicked with Deftones. Maybe it's the flatter. <laughs> I mean, listen to White Pony. White po I mean, I'm sure everyone has, always says that, but like White Pony is the record that everything before White Pony to me is like I don't listen to it. But White Pony is the record that turned me. When it came out, I remember being like, I'll give this a listen. Cause I worked at a record store and I was just like, I'll give this a listen. And I was like, holy shit, what is this? You know? And I was like, do I like the Deftones now? Am I a new metal fan? Like, what's going on? I really was torn about it. And I, I mean, I genuinely really love that record. Um, I think the newest record's really good. Um, the one a record ago, Gore, is a fantastic record because it doesn't pay off. And I think it just kind of forces you to this like whole time. You're just like, give me something heavy. And then it just doesn't ever really pay off. And I think that's kind of great and genius about it. Um, I think that would be a good entry point record, honestly. Um, I mean, on, all the records, like Self-Titled is really great. Um, Diamond Eyes is great. I mean, they're all great records. I, you know, people obviously have their favorites, but I think White Pony is the best. But yeah, I don't know. You should revisit it. It's good. But yeah, it's been good. I mean, I, I know when we, I kind of jokingly was like, hey, I want to do Civ because it's the best hardcore record. But like, I mean, I, I, I forewarned you, I can nerd about this record. Yeah. I, I, what I appreciated about this record and talking with you about it is that I, like I was saying, not a whole lot feels like it exists of someone talking about this record. It feels almost lost to time. You know, I think it's been curated, but and it has its fans but it should be held in a certain regard that i don't feel like it is um so if anyone cares about anything i've ever done which is not that many people um <laughs> then if for this conversation um uh, yeah yeah i mean i think if you, know, full if you look at like you know they just put out new super touch merch on a website website you know and it's like i mean i'm not a big super touch fan i think it's it's cool it's whatever but like um, those designs are awful. And, and also it's like, I mean, it just, again, it's like one of those things where it's like super touch, like we're going to all care about super, we're all going to decide that super touch is the band that we're going to like hold in high esteem, but it's not going to be Civ. Like, I like super touch, but I don't disagree with your statement because it's, it does feel like just general, like if super touch deserves it, then Civ deserves it like 10, 30 fold, you know, it's like, that you know it doesn't it feels like it's like why are we kind of scraping the barrel when there's something and just and, waiting and everybody in this band is in bands people care about i mean like it's not like there's like you know it's not like handsome where you have this like you know a, a couple guys from hardcore a couple guys from metal like you know a couple kind of weirdos like it's 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 you know it's it's like the the kind of cream of the crop as far i mean it's like guitar player from Judge, bass player and singer from Gorilla Biscuits, the drummer from Side by Side and Youth of Today. I mean, it's like, this is an all-star band. I guess on that note, I want to thank you for, you know, coming on the podcast and taking the time to talk to me. I love, I love talking about dumb shit, so. <laughs>Are you stuck at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out? Or you don't want to support big box stores? Go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup. But if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout... 
Just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy. Welcome back. Okay, thanks for hanging in there for our longest episode yet. Big, big thanks to Sean Rohrer, my good, good buddy. Anytime I head to Richmond and get to hang out with Sean, I know we're going to have a long chat about some bullshit, so you know it's an honor to record it this time. Sean's been a really supportive and awesome friend who doesn't get too mad at me when I send him a really dumb meme at 1am. So please check out the new Renee Hartfelt Discography LP out now on 6131 Records. If you dig Rival Schools, Elliot, or Quicksand, then I think you'll love them. It also features members that Count Me Out and Cloak Dagger, so nice bonus too. And the LP is really great looking packaging and sounds awesome. A lot of it's been remastered, so 6131, I know they put a lot of love into putting this whole thing together. So please check that out. So on to next week for the pod. Next week, we're talking to Shannon Taylor of Awake But Still In Bed about the They Might Be Giants album Flood. Really awesome chat. And if you go to patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, you can actually check out this album now. So get on that. But if not, check it out on Monday. We're talking to Shannon Taylor of Awake But Still In Bed, as I mentioned. So get on that. So lastly, check us out on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to rate and review wherever you do that. Thanks to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme music. So on that note, hit the theme!